Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Thirty on Friday, January 18th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, with the Nissan plant in Mississippi poised to lay off as many as 700 contract workers, we talk with a spokesperson for the auto manufacturer and a pro-union employee. This is a result completely tied to market demand. Then a Mississippi family shares how they're affected by the government shutdown. The president of the Mississippi chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics stresses the importance of vaccines for children. And we'll hear what some Mississippians think are the most important issues facing the state. As many as 700 contract workers will lose their jobs at the Nissan plant in Canton in the coming months. Spokeswoman Lauren Love Carter said the workers were notified of the pending layoffs before shifts Wednesday and Thursday via video. She tells us market demand is the reason for the reduction in workforce. So what I can confirm is that at worst case, 700 of our associates who you've called contract workers could potentially be impacted by uh, a production adjustment that is a result of market demand. So the 700 number is at worst case. And when you say impacted, does that mean losing their jobs? So as a result of the uh, of the adjustment, um, again, worst case is 700. Yes, the impact means that they would be left without a job. Over what period of time would these layoffs begin? So we made the announcement yesterday. However, it is not an immediate um, layoff. It is a um, the earliest release date for these impacted associates would be March 18th. So it'd be over the next couple of months. However, over the next couple of months, there are a couple factors that could ultimately reduce that 700 number. And those factors include things like natural attrition, as well as a voluntary separation program that is being offered to direct Nissan hourly employees. So depending on the number of hand raisers that we get for that voluntary separation program, coupled with natural attrition, we anticipate that that 700 number could be lower. Those who are at risk of losing their job, do they know yet? Yesterday afternoon is when we began the announcement. So depending on the shift, so we started an afternoon shift yesterday, followed by night shift, followed by day shift. So the majority of those associates are aware of the adjustment. 
and the potential for not being reassigned as a result of the adjustment. How many associates, contract workers, do you have at Nissan? We do not disclose the breakout of the workforce here at Canton. Will there be any extra compensation, severance, for those who will lose their jobs? What we are doing, um, again, the earliest release date would be March 18th. However, uh, we can't afford really, you know, we care about our employees, be it direct, indirect. So what we are doing is we are offering an incentive payment for those potentially impacted people, employees, associates, to a $1,000 payment, a $1,000 payout, um, if they stay until the March timeframe. Are there any full-time positions that will be eliminated or reassigned? No. All direct Nissan employees, be it salaried or hourly, they will be fully retained and assigned or redeployed to other areas of the plant. Do you so there ha- are no Nissan direct jobs impacted. Do you have associates in management positions or are they all uh, operators or line workers? The majority are operators and line workers. In the announcement, and I heard it was via video, is that right? Part of the announcement was, yes, it was via video, a video that our vice president of manufacturing for the plant, Philip Calhoun, made during shift start meetings, which are normal meetings that happen at the beginning of every shift. Were workers told whether or not they might regain their job, whether they could apply again? Those workers that stay until that March time frame, they will be put on a preferential list for rehire um, if openings occur in the future. Any other um, comments or statements Nissan is making at this time? Just a couple things. I just want to make sure, one, that people understand that this is a result completely tied to market demand and making sure that we can maintain healthy inventory levels. Two, I want to make sure that it's understood that we are doing all we can as a company to mitigate the impact to those potential affected associates. This is never an easy thing, obviously. Um, So we just want to make sure that people know that we are doing all we can to mitigate the impact. And then thirdly, it's that this is an industry downturn. You know, there there are a number of other OEMs that are are going through similar situations. So it's it's an industry thing. It's not a Nissan issue. It's not a Nissan Canton issue. This is a result of a downturn in the market. We are eliminating two shifts. That is a shift of our truck line as well as a shift of our NV cargo and NV passenger van line. Lauren Love Carter is the corporate communications manager for Nissan Mississippi. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Karen. Travis Parks is an employee at Nissan. Although unaffected by this reduction in force, Parks supported a failed unionization bid at Nissan in 2017. He believes having a union at the plant would help protect the workforce by making sure more of them are regular employees and not contractors. Parks tells us the massive reduction affects workers who have been with the company for years, just like regular employees. Especially here in the state of Mississippi, you have a 5% union represented workforce 
And people don't understand what unions are and how it would make a difference. You know, but this, technically, this will not be considered a layoff in Nissan's eyes. It's a rebalance. Uh, a lot of the temp workers probably will be losing their jobs. Some, they'll be offering some, uh, possibly some buyouts for some of the older workers. That so that's there. why it's not considered a layoff because these are contract workers, not full-time employees? Right. These are contract workers that was doing the same jobs we were, the ones we were fighting for, you know, so they could become Nissan employees. I know some of them that's been there five, six years or longer, you know, that are still tent workers. It, they don't have to lay off. They can, they can fire and get rid of these tents just like anybody else. There's no explanation. There's no binding contracts. We don't even know if it's necessary inside the plant. It's a cost-cutting. Uh, you look at the uh, you know, the, the new CEO for Nissan, he is changing, shifting his way of doing business, and it's cutting out the market share that uh, the former CEO, Carlos Ghosn, was uh, pushing for. We pushed for a lot of market share in the business. Now the market share, they're changing from a market share to a profitability, you know. Is production um, down? Was that cited as it, a reason for the – Production's down across the board for all manufacturers, and that's something they knew going into it. That's why the business plan has changed. All right. A- any final comments, your reaction to what's happened? A lot of this is out of our control as far as workers. We have no say-so. We go in there, and uh, if we had a union, we wouldn't be able to control the sales part, but we would be a little more informed of actually what's going on as far as why this is being done. Uh, we don't really have a leg to stand on with this because you know, we, we don't have a union. Uh, they said there would be severance packages, but we don't know what it is. We have no say-so in what it is. If we had a contract, if anything that's like this would have happened, some of these people would, would be able to uh, sustain some sort of living until they're able to get, get another job. Because a lot of these temp workers who work for a temp service, all they're going to do is, is uh, tell them their service is no longer needed. It's up to the temp service to find them another job. It's tough on everybody. I think it's got everybody kind of – I was at work last night, and everybody's kind of a little uh, saddened by, by what's going on because they, they felt that they had some job security. Well, Travis, I appreciate your talking with us. Travis Parks is a full-time employee at Nissan and not necessarily affected directly by these layoffs, but certainly affected because these are your coworkers. Thank you very much, Travis. All right. Thank you. Nissan says the number of jobs cut could change depending on regular turnover and how many employees accept a voluntary buyout offered by the company. In other news, it's day 38, 28 rather, of the partial federal government shutdown. MPB's Jasmine Ellis reports on how a family in Greenville is coping with the loss of income. Erin Watkins and her husband are using their savings to help keep their household running. Her husband is an active-duty U.S. Coast Guard member working on the Mississippi River who hasn't been paid since the government shutdown. Watkins is a teacher and says her income helps her family. We are an abnormal military family where I work outside of the home and have a decent career, whereas most families, they have to have only one person working outside of the home because our spouses are gone for days two months at a time. She's now concerned about her daughter's upcoming surgery. I have three daughters. One is in daycare. She has Down syndrome. And we are just saving like crazy. She has a major surgery coming up. And while we still have our insurance, that surgery costs 
a lot of money and has some extra cost added to it that we will have to cover. This is the longest government shutdown in history. Coast Guard families were given advice on what to do during this difficult time. That we should sell our belongings and walk dogs and somehow find time to do all that while we manage our homes, our husbands manage their careers. Watkins calls the situation shameful and is disappointed that political leaders can't work to open the government. Jasmine Ellis, MPB News. Coming up, the president of the Mississippi chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics stresses the importance of vaccines for children. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at woodwardhines.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi requires children to be vaccinated to attend school. It's a move health providers say uh, prevent prevents the spread of childhood diseases. Although some parents and supporters are pushing for change in vaccine requirements, providers maintain the benefits affect all Mississippians. John Gooday is president of the American Academy of Pediatrics. He tells us how some vaccines work in the body and in the community. Most of these diseases are rare, but it's not rare if it's your child that gets it. And they can be devastating even deadly diseases. And by vaccinating your child, it's basically causing the immune system to think that you've had the disease. You don't give the child the disease. You basically, in a word, trick the immune system into thinking that you've had the disease. You sort of give a false version of the antigen or the molecule to the child so the child would then mount an immune response if they got exposed to it in real life. Are there diseases that we used to get vaccines for that we don't anymore, like polio? Do we still get polio vaccines? We still get polio vaccines because polio is not eradicated. It still exists. Now, there's not been actual um, community-acquired cases of polio in this country in many years, but there are still pockets of polio that exist in other parts of the world And in this global environment that we have, these diseases can travel out of the pockets where they exist into areas where it's uh, not circulating. So these diseases can be imported. Now, back to your question about what diseases do we not immunize for, one example would be um, smallpox. Smallpox is something that has been eradicated uh, from the face of the earth, and it does not exist in the uh, in any community. And so uh, although the goal is to eradicate all of these vaccine-preventable diseases, until that goal is reached, we still have to immunize children because the disease can get a foothold in a community and then begin to replicate and spread again. The medical community stresses the importance of vaccines. There is a very vocal minority, I guess, of parents and others that say vaccines can be harmful to children. How do you respond to that? I know the feeling because when my children were born, it caused me to take pause when it came time to vaccinate them. Uh, When you're giving your child a drug or a medication or doing a procedure, you want to know if what you're doing is the right thing for that child. So I'm familiar with the feeling. 
but you have to uh, look at the science that exists. Uh, when you look at the proposed potential harms for vaccines, and any drug or vaccine can cause, let's say, a, uh, what they call an idiosyncratic or a, a unpredictable reaction, but in terms of uh, a long-term uh, harm, for instance, autism, which was proposed as a potential harm that could come from vaccine, the science shows that there's no link between autism and the vaccines. When you look at the data, you can see that it's better to get your child immunized and protect them from the disease. Uh, and there's no risk for causing autism in your child from the vaccines. Now, where does autism come from? That's a more complicated question. A lot of people, there's been a number of studies looking at where it's coming from. Is the incidence of autism, is it um, some other genetic or environmental factor? And right now we really don't know, but it's been the link between vaccines and brain or neurodevelopmental disorders has been looked at extensively, and they've been found to be safe. Mississippi has vaccination laws that determine which vaccinations are required to attend school. Some people are in support of that, but they'd like to have some choice in which vaccinations their child receives. When you look at the diseases that are uh, required to be vaccinated against for school, and you add up the number of injections between birth and kindergarten entry, there are 16 injections. Now, one injection may include three diseases, for instance, diphtheria, tetanus, and whooping cough or pertussis. Depends on how you count. Is that three vaccines or is that one? Well, it's one shot, but there are three types of molecules in that vaccine. And then you have to get more than one dose because the, the, the protection is not adequate with only one or two doses. You have to get several doses prior to entering kindergarten. But right now we require a full series of diphtheria, tetanus, and whooping cough, chicken pox, polio, hepatitis B, and measles, mumps, and rubella. For instance, measles, mumps, and rubella, those are all packaged into one. That's, there are three types of molecules of antigens for those diseases in an MMR shot. It's one shot that's given in toddlerhood and then another one prior to kindergarten entry. And there are some uh, combination vaccines available to bundle several of these others, and you can get it down from 16 over the first five years of life down to 11 if you use those combinations. Dr. John Godet is president of the Mississippi chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Dr. Godet, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Advocates with Mississippi Parents for Vaccine Rights say they're being forced to allow their children to receive vaccine vaccines that they say may be harmful. Coming up, we'll hear what some Mississippians think are the most important issues facing the state. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Can we get real for a second about New Year's resolutions? That tidy list of all the swell things we're going to do to make 2019 pretty darn perfect. Lose weight, quit smoking, save money. What if this year, instead, you simply determined to think in new ways? To learn one little thing every day. MPB Think Radio can help. Information that enhances your health, can inspire your finances, and uplift your spirits. Even opportunities to volunteer. All at mpbonline.org. Sometimes real is better than perfect. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
the only daily radio news magazine that covers the whole state. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi voters are united around several key policy positions. That's according to findings in the 2019 Millsaps College Chisholm Strategies Report. They say the latest State of the State survey indicates that an often fragmented state electorate has found common ground just as the 2019 legislative session begins in Jackson. Nathan Schrader is Assistant Professor of Political Science at Millsaps College. He tells MPB's Jasmine Ellis infrastructure and education top the list of priorities for those surveyed. What this particular survey revealed to us was that oftentimes in past quarters when we put out our report, we we spend time noting, you know, here are where Mississippians are, here here's where they are split, here, here's where they differ. And this time there's a completely different story involved. This time we see where Mississippians are more united and cohesive on some policy issues than what we've seen in the past. And you know, these are issues that we weren't quite sure how some of them may play with the electorate, especially since we just came through a grueling election year. We're at the start of a legislative session right now in the Capitol, and we're in an election season where every statewide position is up for grabs and all seats in the House and Senate. So when I say that we actually found more consensus and cohesion than usual, that really comes through in the numbers. So, for example, we asked the question about the rural broadband proposal that was sort of brought forward through the Public Service Commission about allowing these electric cooperatives to help provide high-speed Internet access in rural places. Uh, by a margin of 83 to 6 percent, Mississippi voters support that plan. And we move, you know, we move on to the governor talked in his state of the state speech last night about his proposal for a 3% teacher pay raise. We found that has a level of support of 76% and only 14% of the electorate is opposed. Um, so we're seeing in these numbers, and when we dig deeper into the cross tabs, you can find that there's agreement among people regardless of their on these issues, regardless of their race, their age, their gender, their partisanship, there's more unity around some of these things than what we've seen in, in past surveys and even past legislative sessions. What issue surprised you the most? What did surprise me was the, the change that we've observed. This was right after the primary election last year. We did a survey focusing on ways in which we could potentially modernize voting in the electoral systems in Mississippi. And we had asked a question about early voting. And you know, 38 states in the country have some form of early voting. And we asked a question about this four, a 14-day window for people to go to their county courthouse and, and cast an early vote. This survey, we, we asked that same question again, and we found 71% support early or 14-day early voting period, just 21% opposed. But here, that that wasn't completely surprising to me to see that you know, more people support it than oppose it. But it's the change. Just you know, over a six-month period of time, that level of support for early voting grew by 14%. Uh, and so I believe that really is an important thing because I know there are early voting bills that I've been told are go if they're not filed already for this session, they're going to be filed within the next week. It's that level of growth over a very short period of time of Mississippians becoming more accepting of, a, of the 14-day early voting period. And even to see now a 50% gap between those who support it and those that oppose it, that, that shows that there's strong momentum in favor of that particular way to modernize our, our voting process. What issue um, 
do you think that legislators or leaders are willing to act on? We asked a question in this survey about Mississippi voters' attitudes toward Medicaid expansion. And, you know, that that has been an issue where in previous legislative sessions, uh, many members of the majority party in the GOP and the governor's office and the lieutenant governor's office, they have care. They have done everything they can to avoid, uh, you know, showing any signs of thawing out on Medicaid expansion. Our survey found that 60 percent of Mississippi voters want Medicaid expanded. You know, of course, that is designed under the Affordable Care Act to help uh, those uh, those uh, low income those low income citizens uh, better afford health care coverage and access. And as we've seen over time, to assist our rural hospitals to try to prevent them from closing. And so, 60 percent to 29 percent. Uh, margin of support for Medicaid expansion among the voters, that is really out of alignment with what the legislature has done in previous years anytime this issue's come up. Millsaps College Professor Nathan Trader with our Jasmine Ellis. See the report online at millsaps.edu. Find out what the governor and lawmakers have on their list of priorities tonight on MPB's At Issue. Host Wilson Stribling is bringing the issues while Democrat Brandon Jones and Republican Austin Barber offer analysis. At Issue airs on Fridays tonight at 7.30 on MPB TV. Hear this conversation again whenever you want by subscribing to our podcast. Just search for Mississippi Edition in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting app. Stay tuned for at 9 o'clock, the Gestalt Gardener. At 10 o'clock, it's Next Stop Mississippi. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again Monday morning at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation's Get to College program. Based in South Haven, Jackson, and Ocean Springs, Get to College advisors help students and families plan and pay for college. Learn more at woodwardhines.org.